Welcome back to One Great Conversation. In this episode, we are going to be chatting with Simon Bell, business coach, podcast host, filmmaker, just to name a few of his talents. He has been alongside Luxes for a long time now and has a fair few insights, tips and tricks to share with us. Hope you enjoy it. I'm so excited to have you here, as you know. Thank you so much for coming on to One Great Conversation. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. (laughs) My pleasure. Firstly, off the top of the list, I really would love to know, why do you love doing what you do? I love, I'm very clear that my purpose in life is to contribute Mm -hmm. about not, oh, actually probably that's going to feel old now, about 11 years ago, 12 (laughs) years ago. Now that I think about it, it's 12 years, possibly 13 years ago, I did a program, like a transformative program. Mm -hmm. It was a three and a half day workshop. And then after that, I I just fell in love with this transformative style of learning and um, who I am today and who I was before doing that program are two very different humans. I was a slimy used car salesman back in those days, yeah. No way. And I'm okay to own that. (laughs) I call myself a reformed car dealer. (laughs) No more white shoes and gold Uh. chains. But I did this course and then I did the follow-up course, which was like the advanced program or advanced version of it. And in that, it was really my first experience of questioning the nature of reality and, you know, what what is our purpose in life Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And it was a really really profound three-day program. And in that, I was like, you know what, I'm really clear that, you know, why I'm here on this planet is to contribute and make a difference. And it's just a self-expression of mine. When I'm coaching, I feel fulfilled. I feel full. Oh, that's um, so good. I feel satisfied and also grateful. So I don't know, there's, there's that. And then seeing the results, being a part of, you know, yeah. the Luxus journey and seeing where you guys are, mm-hmm. it is rewarding yeah. to, um, to be part of that journey in some small way. Oh, thank you. And actually going into what you've just mentioned about being part of the Luxes journey, there's a fair few of us who wouldn't know where Luxes was at when you first took us on as a client. What was the trajectory from when you took us on board to now? I have to say that was a great segue. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I really planned that. That. that was like a few questions down. That was down. a sensational segue. Well done. <laughs> thank you. So what was it like before when I first started working with Tim? Well, I'm going to tell this story. Please, because he's told his side. Has he really? Yeah. So Tim and I had a fight the first time we met. (laughs) Did he tell that story? (laughs) Yeah, but I want to hear your side. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't a fight. It was more of a disagreement around a certain thing. And uh, that was really cool. I first met Tim in a mentoring session on a Monday night, you know, 11 years ago. It'd be 10, mate. It'd be coming up to, yeah, almost 11 years ago. Wow. And uh, yeah, we had a conversation about a scoreboard. And yeah, it was, it was great. I remember leaving going, oh, I think I really upset that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember speaking to the business manager at the time because I was just a contractor at the National College of Business. And I remember ringing him the next day thinking, I think I've just upset Tim Dawson. So you might need to go. <laughs> Damage smooth, control. Smooth that out. I didn't mean to. And then we started working together. I think we showed up in one of my groups and, mm-hmm. and we just, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. We share similar values, similar commitments, similar drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was what it was like. It wasn't, I think at the time it was Young's trading and yeah. there was a thousand different products, yes. from, you know, as you guys already know and well familiar. So to see the transition from it being a bit of everything mm-hmm. in the warehouse, you know, there was just, there was just stuff everywhere right. to sell it, to picking a niche, mm-hmm. focusing on that niche. And becoming, you know, the best in the market at that. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see. Yeah, I'm very proud of him. And as I said, very privileged to be part of that 
that journey in some in some small way. Beautiful. And do you have anything to do with that sort of streamline? Like I know I've heard it from other people who work here like MIDI and that sort of thing and suggesting that streamline, but I'm sure that you would have coached him along the way there or? Yeah, like I'd, I'd like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd like to think so. Yeah, well, one of my mentors, I had a mentor, he's passed away since mm. since recently. He was from California. Yeah. He was actually, funny little side story, he was actually one of the producers of the Blair Witch Project. Oh, really? The original Blair Witch Project, wow. which took, you know, I think it was a $36,000 cool. budget to film that. Wow. It made something stupid at the box office. Yeah. Anyway, his name was Andy and he was Californian. And I remember being on a mentoring session or a coaching call with him. On Melbourne Cup Day back in like 2008. <laughs> you remember all the details. <laughs> yeah, and he was drinking like he was drinking something alcoholic because mm-hmm. he had ice cubes and he was having this drink. And he's like, "Simon, man, Simon, I want to tell you, a niche will make you rich, baby. A niche will make you rich." And it was all about like a niche, obviously, is yeah. what he was talking about. But you know, it always stuck with me that you pick a product or pick a market segment and be the best in the world at what you can do. Mm-hmm. And from that, you know, that shows up in so many other books you sure. know, and so many other teachings and it's just best business practice. So, yeah. You know, what Tim does exceptionally well is he takes what he learns and makes sure that it's aligned with his values mm-hmm. and goes and implements it to the nth degree. Yes. And that's, I think, when one of the key parts of the success of Luxus. So, yeah, I mean, maybe I'd like to have a, <laughs> a little part in it, but, you know, it's just, that you, do. just uh, you know, preaching best practice, really. Yeah. No, I like that. Thank you for that. And I think the team will definitely have a lot to take away from that little story of memory <laughs> lane that we went down. <laughs> but one thing that I do feel passionately about, and I know Tim does as well, is school and that establishment and, you know, the model for success and that sort of thing. We feel you know, that you can't really put everyone in just one box for what success looks like. So I want to know what did school look like for you? What was your early adult life like? And how did you get to the space of influence where you are now? I know you touched on it a bit with the three-day program, but sort of back a little bit further. Back a bit further. What does school look like? I never really enjoyed school until grade 11 and 12. Okay. Uh, I kind of, I was a bit of a rebel. (laughs) Uh, li- really? Just a little, not much, not not a like not not a delinquent, but I just never was <laughs> never really. All, all I wanted to do was join the army in no high school. Way. Yeah, that was that was me. That was I was going to join the army. I was in the army cadets all the way through high school. Wow. One thing that attracted me about that was the discipline and the focus mm-hmm. and the leadership aspect, the leadership development. So, yeah. you know, I went through all the ranks in high school and then in grade eleven and twelve you know, did my promotion courses and in grade 12 had the privilege of being the cadet officer of like 120 cadets. How awesome. So in, in charge of two units, which was, which was awesome and great, you know, great opportunity from leadership. And still to this day, there's, there'll be things that I've, I'll coach that I learned mm-hmm. during those years of being trained That's by awesome. the regular army guys who would yeah. work with the cadets, which was awesome. And all my mates went and joined the army mm-hmm. and uh, I applied for uh, officer training yeah. straight out of high school and uh, I busted my knee playing cricket and I also didn't really pass the <laughs> I didn't pass the well, academic thank God, right? <laughs> assessment so they said look and I think it was more of a maturity thing they're like you know we don't want you, you finish so you're 17 now you go to RMC you become you know a lieutenant in by the time you're 20-ish mm. and then you've got to counsel 30 and 40 year olds on their marriages and things like that mm. and, you know so anyway fortunately 
I didn't get into the army that in that round. I wanted to be an officer. So they said, look, well, do you want to, what I suggest is give it 12 months, come and reapply. We'd love to have you, uh, but you just need a little bit more ex world experience, <laughs> which is understandable. And uh, so I went to uni and studied international relations and criminology because I thought, well, instead of being in the army, I'm going to be a spy. <laughs> spy? I'm not. I love that. I'm telling, this is the true, this is a true story. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Yeah. So, and that's what I wanted to do. So I did criminology, international relations, and then I fell in love with business. You know, I had a friend of mine who actually introduced me to a network marketing business back in the day. And then I started reading the books and I just fell in love with business. And uh, yeah, at the time I was working at the fish markets. I worked, I studied full time and worked at the fish markets 50 hours a week. Solid. Yeah. It was a cash in hand. Oh. Always smelled like a fish. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was hard work. And then, but so I was always, I was always hunting for how do I, how do I make the, I know this is going to sound really funny, but how do I make the most amount of money with the least amount of work? Oh, well, smart, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's still my context for business, for business owners when yeah, coaching. Yeah, it's like, yeah. well, how do you, how do you leverage, you know, the team? Mm. How do you leverage, you know, the systems and the processes? And so anyway, long story short, I heard about this idea of getting a car dealer's license. Yeah. And I remember selling my mum and dad's caravan. They were grey nomads at the time. Oh, wow. So many things I'm learning there. Yeah. Oh, and wow. so they, they come back and they said, look, they were going away and I was at uni and, you know, 10 bucks an hour, smelled like a fish. And they said, <laughs> you know, we want, I think $7,000, I think it was, for this mm -hmm. caravan. Anything mm -hmm. above that you can keep. I thought, all right, no worries. So I put it in the trading post. I think I put it in for eight and a half grand. Mm -hmm. Got eight grand on over the weekend. And no I was like, dollars <laughs> I had You're three conversations. <laughs> I had to work so like, you know, $1,000. And that's when the whole like, idea of buying yeah. and selling came in. And yeah, worked at Toyota for a bit, learned how to sell, got really trained on how to sell. Cool. Still very grateful yeah. for that. Yeah. And then, yeah, started my own car yard at the age of 21 with three cars and 15 right. grand. Right. And then just bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold and turned three into five and five into eight and eight into yeah. 12. And, How cool. And after the end of 12 months, had 30 cars that I owned in stock. Wow. And uh, yeah, that rest is kind of history, the pre-workshop. Pre and then 2008, 2009, I did that program and yeah. realized that I woke up one day and I was a car dealer. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with car dealers, by the way. Anyway, I'm very, very, very grateful for the experience. It's a solid foundation. Yeah, especially yeah. dealing with people. Yeah. You know, dealing, selling is a skill. I think selling should be like conscription. Yes. I think everybody should do it 12 months when they leave school mm. because it just gives people an indication of, like a bit of a reality check. Yeah, what's it gets you on. out of your comfort zone too. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah, and then after that, I started sales training and mm. coaching. That's when I started at the National College of Business. Sure. And then shortly after that's when I met Tim. Wow. So I think I'd only been coaching for 12 months when I first met Tim. There you go. So you've pretty yeah. much, yeah, been here for more or less the whole ride. Yeah, I think Amazing. so. And I love also that I've had a few people in my life that didn't stick to just this is what I'm doing out of school and that's just how it's going to be for the rest of my life. Like it's normalizing, looking for what really gets your fire going. Mm. Yeah, I love that you were able to share that with us. Yeah, you're welcome. And tell me more about Tuesday Studios, how you named it and the motivation behind it, please. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so Tuesday Studios is a film studio that I'm launching. So this is the, the latest endeavor or adventure in my entrepreneurial journey. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a company 
called Staffberry, which is a lot of you guys know, the people, you know, especially those who've been around Luxus for a while, yep. which I sold to my business partner three, three and a bit years ago and uh, took some time off, reflected, did a lot of, you know, inner work nice. um, and really was like, well, what, what's the next chapter look like? Like, what do mm -hmm. I really want to do? And what kept coming up was making films. I've always wanted to make movies. Yeah, I, I remember that from our conversation. Yeah. yeah. And so like anything, like my, all my other endeavours, it's just been a matter of self-teaching and exploration. And um, and Tuesday, Tuesday is a – the name it took me ages. It always takes me a long time to come up with names. Yeah. So many different options. But Tuesday, <laughs> obviously a play on word with the Tuesday. Yeah. But it's the, the reminder that we get to choose at any given moment our context for life. We get to choose and create our reality. Mm -hmm. And as a filmmaker, I get to choose and create how I want to tell the story. And that's the key piece. And whatever story I want to tell. Yes. As a reminder for that. So not to get pigeonholed in just one genre. Yeah. You know, if I want to shoot a documentary one month and then shoot a horror film the next, then that's what I'm going to do. You're totally going to do that. 100%. Yeah. And it's just a reminder for me and for anybody that I collaborate with that as creatives, we get to choose at any given moment, yeah. not only our relationship to things, but what, what shows up mm -hmm. in our orbit. So mm -hmm. that's just a reminder, little simple plan words. Plus oh, it, I think nice. it'll work at the front of the film. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's interesting that you mentioned that as well because recently I watched a podcast with Joe Rogan and Miley Cyrus and a lot of these creatives, these famous people, they're looking into directing and, you know, that behind-the-scenes stuff to – sort of cut out that middleman because they do get pigeon pigeonholed into what these companies expect of them and what the company expects that the audience will want sort of thing. And more and more I'm hearing that they're going to, after obviously getting to a certain point in their career, they're looking into doing that behind the scenes stuff to be able to really get their vision to come to life. Mm. Yeah. So that seems to be like a common theme. Yeah. Mm. Directing, I think, is, I mean, it's the most expensive art form filmmaking, <laughs> as I've found Is out. it? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, it is. You know, when you, especially when you're dealing, the, just the equipment is expensive. Okay. I mean, as you know. Oh, yeah. This, you know, mm. in the setup. And, you know, you can, you can spend, you know, well, literally $100 million on making a film. And that's what most films cost these days in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, you know, an independent film might be $20 million to make. Wow. So the ones that you that we take for granted on Netflix yeah, and things yeah, like that, yeah. you know, you're not you're not getting away. They're, they're not, it's not small investments. So it's mm -hmm. an expensive mm -hmm. art form, and yeah, unfortunately, well, it depends how you look at it. I don't necessarily unfortunately, but the rule of business is the golden rule, which is he or she who's got the money make gold makes the rules. Yeah. And in the filmmaking business, yeah, you know, Fair. when you get when you're a director, you get a bit more creative expression, mm -hmm. uh, and you can you know tell a story the way you want to tell it as opposed to being dictated to by yes. the money. Yes, yes. Money rules, does it not? Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's probably why they're going down that path. Yeah, but, it, yeah, it's interesting to hear that and from someone like myself who's doing what they're doing, yeah, to then tap into what these greats are, you know, looking into in the future and, you know, they're sort of just making shit happen, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, love it. Me too. And can I ask, what does a day in the life of Simon look like? Wellness, routine, all that juicy stuff. <laughs> Most mornings it's, oh, I mean, look, I, I do my practice, whether it's meditation. I don't meditate every morning, but most mornings. Mm -hmm. If I don't meditate in the morning, I'll meditate in the evening. There'll be gratitude in there. There'll generally be every morning fairly religiously. 
is some sort of grounding outside. So whether that's just going out, no shoes in the backyard. Oh, no. Uh, and just getting grounded. So that's that. And then generally followed by the chaos that is school drop-off. <laughs> How do you navigate that? That seems to be quite a common theme that school drop-off is a friction point. Um, it's getting easier as they get older. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, got... How do I navigate that? I don't have an answer. Do you go, um, <laughs> no. while you're driving? No, no. Or you're like, be quiet. As I say to all the guys, it's not about not getting messed up. It's at the speed in which you can get unmessed up. <laughs> Love so, your honesty. So, yeah, it can be a little bit chaotic. I do prefer to do pick up than drop off, but mm-hmm. uh, it just depends on the routine. Sure. So I'll either do school drop off in the morning or school pick up, depending on, you know, what's going on for the day. And then, yeah, into the sessions, you know, whether that's coaching, filmmaking, whatever it might be. But mm-hmm. um, I try and take it pretty easy. And how do you sort of set up your day? Like here we really try and put emphasis on using the calendar, yeah. um, you know, making sure you're blocking out certain time for yourself to get your big goals done but still being flexible in case something does show up so you're not so rigid that yeah. you don't have time to accommodate for you know, random things showing up. Are you sort of on that same thing? Obviously, you'd be booking in your events into your calendar, but do you sort of follow a, a normal routine and then fit things in? Or? Yeah. So th- absolutely block out times to work on the big rocks. Mm-hmm. Like so if it's filmmaking or whether it's, you know, working on a client project or whether it's preparing for a Luxus <laughs> workshop or yeah. whatever it might be, there'll be time specific. Now, one of the things I do subscribe to, which I think is worth noting, is managing your energy as well as your time and knowing Good point. what rhythms like when you're most productive, mm-hmm. I'll speak for myself. So when I'm most productive, sure. I'm most productive nine o'clock till about midday. Sure. Is my really where I get the most important yeah. stuff done. And so if you've got a coaching call between nine and 12, you're going to get the absolute juice. Oh, awesome. So plan this well. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, that's, so most of my coaching sessions are done between those times and then anything that I want to work on specifically, like it's really important, but not urgent in that, yeah. in that. In the quadrant. In the yep. quadrants. That'll get done in that space mm-hmm. there. I'm also not attached to those certain times either. So Good. what I mean by that, like a, a, there's a structure, but I'm not, there's, no, there's not a. Um, You're not with an iron hand, like it must be like this or else yeah. I will fall apart. <laughs> no, I'm also very mindful that, you know, each day goes past. We're as human beings, we're emotional creatures. We have different flows, different rhythms. You know, I have the privilege of being able to shift certain things around. So I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also don't mind working in the evenings. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get a little bit of creative juice in the evenings, you know, and so that if, if something's not working for me and I've got the space once the kids are in bed or if there's a space in the You'll evening. you knock I'm, it off then. Yeah. 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 So nice. it's being committed to the chunking of the time but also not being attached to it has to be done in this particular. If there's options for it. Obviously yeah. if there's a coaching call or there's a deadline or whatever, yeah. then, you know. Just be in the moment though. That's the kind of thing Yeah, that respond I'm to what's showing yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And a final takeaway for the episode, something that has been a reoccurring theme that I've noticed, whether it be through scoreboard or just through general conversation, is that we tend to sort of struggle when we're collaborating or, you know, whether it be internal or external with different personalities. Mm -hmm. So I had good wording here. What approach can we take to turn this into a win and be present in the moment at all times when it comes to different personalities? Ah, Compassion. Like compassion and empathy, I think is, so the personality profiling is, I think it's a great foundation and a great body of work to understand that mm-hmm. people will process and respond to information differently. Yeah. I think the key point to that then is being present mm-hmm. and being 
compassionate and empathetic to other people's humanity. Like knowing that people are going to respond to things differently. Um, and that includes yourself. Like, that, you know, yeah. if we talk about, you would have heard this before, the three key distinctions, love yourself, tell the truth, be responsible. Mm -hmm. And that's the three key distinctions that I work with, with, you know, the heads of department on and, and you know, Tim around the new paradigm. So it's love yourself, tell the truth, be responsible. And the loving yourself piece is knowing that you're going to respond to people in different ways yeah. and loving yourself enough to go, okay, well, that's okay. And sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> to respond that way and the same thing with other people <laughs> you know that hey look that's them being human and that's okay and I have the yeah. compassion for you as a human mm -hmm. and that doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> stop it right it doesn't work and so yeah. you know it's that it's the um, ability to bring love and it's at the same time be resolute or firm in your you know, your mm -hmm. commitments and your desires mm -hmm. and your vision and so on and so forth so mm -hmm. dealing with other people's personality types obviously A being aware that no one person, no two people, I should say, no two people listen or process or respond or view the world the same way. Mm. No two people. Mm. You can be twins. It's true. You can be twins and still not view mm. it the same way because we'll have different experiences. And just to be self-aware enough to remember that and remember it's not the game, as I said before, the game is not about not getting messed up. I think some of us set this high expectation that we're I'm always, perfect all the time. always <laughs> going to be on and present <laughs> and connected and no, you're a human being and you're yeah. messy and you're going to, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to react to certain people's behaviors and you're going to have your own reactions and so yes. on and so forth. It's yep. the speed in which you can go, ah, oh, remind Back yourself, on track. Mm -hmm. oh, they're just human. Mm -hmm. I'm human. We had a human experience. <laughs> <laughs> what do I choose? How do I choose to respond now? Yes. Yes. You know, do I go and restore my relationship with them or commitment or, you know, have a conversation or, mm -hmm. or do I act like a five-year-old and just let it fester in the background or whatever <laughs> it might be is yeah. that's that conscious awareness piece. That's the speed in which you can bring yourself back and remind yourself of the situation that, mm. you know, nothing has meaning until we give it meaning. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Like it's just being. Right? Yeah. It just is. It just is. But yeah. we put labels, time context, opinions, yep. experiences, all that sort of stuff on it. hundred percent. If that's one thing you can take away from this podcast. Yes, that, please. <laughs> you know, nothing has meaning until we give it meaning. Yeah. And then we, you know, we're, we're miraculous creatures, humans, is that we, you know, we make up meaning to things and then we relate to it like it's the truth. Yeah, we create this truth in our head and then you can literally, in my opinion, manifest it to be that because that's what you're believing will show up. 100%. Yeah. And in fact, we do. I mean, that's the science of it. Mm. You know, the science of it, we, our experience of life is informed by the perceived future that we're living into. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we will take a situation, we'll then add meaning to it, mm. we'll then project an experience, project a future yep. that fits that meaning or that context, and then we'll look for evidence biologically yeah. for that perceived future and as we know, we always find what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the majority of the time we do manifest yeah. those fears. Not all the time. Like I don't want people to be scared. And, oh, my God, I had this horrible <laughs> thought. I'm going to manifest it into. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work no. exactly like that. And it that. also doesn't work like I'm going to win the lotto. Not there. at all. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we do create our own reality. And, um, yeah, I don't know whether that answered the personality question. No, no, it definitely did. I, I think the biggest thing is just constantly practicing that so it's not going to happen overnight as we know we've however long we've all lived like myself almost 29 years always like to use myself as an example it's the easiest but you're trying to undo 29 years of experience in like one event that's not going to happen you constantly got to remind yeah. yourself and practice and 
try and do better next time and next time and next time. 100%. Create a habit. It's the programming. Mm. You know, like you, you're actually forming those neural pathways. They're actually pathways within the brain mm. that create those habits. You know, to expect that you're going to transform them overnight, you know, is – is um, and look, it can happen mm. in certain – Traumatic. I was going to say, a trauma, like a really big snap, like yep. a near death experience. Yep. That or definitely like that. is how you know. Not that you want to go and search for those, but that's. I'm sure know, there's the some people who do transformative experiences. <laughs> yeah, a new bit of context will shift. You know, can shift and, and rewire the brain, which mm -hmm. is why looking at context, not just content, is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a great body of work around uh, by a guy called Corey Jackson. Corey Jackson. And I think I've even passed the details on to Barb. He's got an online program which is part of the Cultivating Emotional Balance body of work. And that, awesome. that CEB was actually developed by a group of psychologists and psychiatrists along with the Dalai Lama. Wow. And it's a beautiful body of work. And what they talk about is attention training, which is mm. mindfulness or meditation. Yeah. And the more you practice some sort of mindfulness practice, whether it's meditation, and you practice the ability to better bring your attention to one particular focal point, just like going to the gym, you'll develop muscle yes. around that. And so, you know, as I said before, it's not a matter of not getting messed up. It's the speed in which you can <laughs> yeah. bring your attention back, back to the present moment. Yeah. So there's no shortcutting this. Mm -mm. So it's there's gotta, no quick fix it's or like, appeal. Again, or, like going to the gym. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you can say that you can lift heavy things until you get challenged to lift something heavy. Mm. And if you're lying, that's <laughs> when you're going to get found out. Yeah. And so if you haven't done the work, you can't fake it. Then. No, you're you like, can't. That's, you literally can't. You'll smell us out, won't you? I'll smell it out. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, you've got to do the practice. And yeah. Whether that's mindful eating, whether it's meditation, mm. you know. And even if it is meditation, it's both mindfulness on the cushion as well as off the cushion. Yes. So it's no good meditating twice a day and then, you know, being at the effect of your emotions exactly. out in public. For sure. Oh, well, thank you so much. I know we only just skimmed the surface, but it was such a pleasure to have you on here. And hopefully one day again in the future we can have you again. I'd love that. Thank oh, you. thanks, Simon. Thanks me on. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of One Great Conversation, brought to you by Lux's Greats. We hope you gain some valuable insights that you can implement into your personal and professional life. Please share this episode with others who you think may be interested in this topic. If there's something you'd like covered in future episodes, drop us a line in the comment section or send us a message on social media. To stay up to date with new episodes and to help support One Great Conversation, please subscribe or follow us on your favourite streaming platform.